I believe that coincidences are God's way of remaining anonymous. I had no idea of the hymn that would be chosen, uh, the one that we just sang, and it fits perfectly with what I'm going to be talking about, as you'll see in a couple of minutes. Thank you, Lord. Well, let me say again what a privilege it is to be here and to share just a bit in the ministry and uh, the fellowship of this cathedral. You should know that the witness of the Cathedral Church of the Advent to the wider Episcopal Church and to the Christian Church uh, in general is quite wonderful. And with this new team that you have of Dean Pearson and Canon Smalley and the rest of the staff and with all of you, uh, I trust that there are some exciting days ahead for this corner of the Lord's Vineyard. So on behalf of all of your freezing cold sisters and brothers um, up in Massachusetts, where we woke up on April Fool's Day to a snowstorm, very funny, Lord, uh, I want to thank all of you for your ministry to God's grace. Now, I have been reading um, about a small town where there is a church that does a reenactment of the crucifixion every Good Friday, and everyone in the church gets involved. And one year, they picked the roughest guy in the church uh, to play the role of Jesus, and a lot of people thought that it was not the greatest choice. I mean, this guy was big and tough, Uh, he had a... Paris Island drill instructor's body. He had a Charles Bronson face. Uh, You would not want to get on his bad side. The other people in the church uh, were part of the mob that followed Jesus on the road to the cross. And as the man playing Jesus was carrying the cross, one parishioner in the crowd really got into the role. And so he started shouting, Crucify! at the top of his lungs. And then he got right into the face of the man playing Jesus. And he hollered, crucify him. And he screamed so loud that some of his spit went right into the face of Jesus. Right then and there, in the middle of the pageant, Jesus stopped. He put down the cross. He turned to the other man. And he said, I'll see you after the resurrection. So I'm just wondering whether there's some little part of you that's just a little concerned that when you get to the pearly gates, you're going to be met by someone with that tone of voice, given some of the things in your life, given the backstage view of your life that you have that others haven't seen. I'm just wondering whether that scene speaks to that subtle, ominous fear that we sometimes have. This fear that when we come before the Son of God after the resurrection, the topic's going to focus a little more on judgment than on mercy. And that after the resurrection, there's going to be a kind of a steely-eyed Son of God, and that he's going to simply confirm that there are some consequences for who we really are. And it is what it is, as we sometimes say. Well, I would like to tell you about a young man named Eric Hill. Eric 
was a man who expected to meet a steely-eyed Jesus. Max Licato uh, writes about him in one of his books, and I want to give you just a snapshot of him this noon. Eric looked great on the outside. He was 28, he was handsome, he'd graduated from college, companies were competing to hire him, but things were different on the inside. There were some voices inside of Eric that he did not want to hear. There were some images in there that he did not want to see. And in order to try to escape from those images and those voices, Eric tried to escape from the world. And so on a gray, rainy day in February of 1982, Eric walked out the back door of his Florida home, and he never came back. His sister Debbie remembers watching Eric walk out that door. She watched him walk away down the interstate, and she was sure that he would come back soon. Later on, she hoped that he would call. Later on, she hoped that she could find him. But none of that happened. Instead, one of the voices inside Eric's head gave him an assignment. And the assignment was to pick up garbage alongside a highway outside of San Antonio, Texas. And so that's what he did. He lived in a hole in the ground in a vacant lot. His clothes were one split pair of trousers and an old sweatshirt, and he wore a plastic bag when it rained. And he lived that way for 16 years, until one day an ambulance found Eric curled up in a ball along the side of the road. And at the hospital, they found that Eric had cancer with just months to live, and no one knew who he was. So let me pause here for just a moment to ask this question. Do any of you here join with me in sometimes having voices in your head that you don't like to hear? Sometimes having images in your head that you don't like to see. Some voices that articulate what you really like to say to that one particular person. Some images of what you'd really like to do to that person who cuts you off in traffic. Now, Eric is an extreme example, of course, and we're gonna come back to him in just a moment. But let me add right here to the mix just two verses from the Bible. It's John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. You see why this hymn was amazing? I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The scene for these two verses is Jerusalem, and we're in the final days in Jesus' life. The cross is drawing near, and Jesus knows it. And so he wants to be as clear as he can possibly be about just exactly who he is and what his relationship with us is like, and whether or not there's some steely-eyed stuff going on or something else. And so he tells the citizens of Jerusalem and the citizens of Springfield and the citizens of Birmingham that to look at a shepherd 
and a flock of sheep is to see an illustration of the relationship between Jesus and us. And in order to illustrate what kind of a shepherd Jesus is, he makes a reference to the contrast between a shepherd and a hired hand. And I can illustrate that contrast by telling you about a friend of mine named Rollin Johnson. Rollin was an orthopedic surgeon up in Massachusetts. And once when I saw Rollin for a disobedient knee, Rollin wanted my help, my observations, my feelings in figuring out what was wrong. He listened to me carefully, and when he touched my knee, he had a way of touching that did not make you feel unhealthy or unclean. And years later, when I was in the hospital for a disobedient appendix, Rollin was the first person in my room every morning. He had a warm greeting. He had some heartfelt concern. He had a sweet sense of humor. Rollin was a good doctor. In contrast, I remember that bad doctor that would march into my room with a gaggle of medical students, look at the chart, refer to me as the case, lecture the students, and then walk out. I am the good doctor. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. And he says how? In two different ways. He says first, I know my own, and my own know me. Little Charlie was 10 years old. School was out for Christmas, and he and his mom and dad went to a house in the country for the holidays. And one afternoon, uh, the mom took Charlie for a drive in the countryside. It started to snow. The car went around the corner. It skidded off the road into a ditch. And so Charlie and his mom got out of the car, and they walked about a mile down the road, and they knocked on the door of a house. And a woman answered and invited them in, and she called a garage for help, and she gave them tea and cookies till the garage, the tow truck arrived. And then later on, the mom and Charlie invited the woman to their house for a meal, and so they began a friendship which lasted for years. Sounds like a perfectly ordinary event. But don't you dare say that to the woman who opened the door, because she has told that story thousands of times. Because the young woman knocking on the door was a young Queen Elizabeth, and the ten-year-old boy was Prince Charles, and the house where the other woman went for a visit was Buckingham Palace. I know my own, and my own know me. And you and I are known by an even greater reality than the Queen of England, and we are headed to a greater home than Buckingham Palace. We are invited right now in this service to open the door and welcome in the Good Shepherd for tea and cookies and our hearts because he knows our name and he wants to come in. He knows all about us and he still wants to come in. He knows the fears and the failures of every single one of us here right now and he still wants to come in. Do you really believe that? It's such an outrageous, incredible claim that I would caution you to dismiss it as just a lovely sentiment. 
if it weren't for the fact that the good shepherd has put his money where his mouth is. Because after he says that he knows his own and his own know him, he then says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Which is to say, as God knows you and me so intimately that there springs forth from God utter self-giving on our behalf, which then takes us back to Eric Hill, who was dying alone in that hospital, and nobody knew who he was. And his court-appointed lawyer finally went on the Internet asking if anyone knew a brown-haired adult with the last name of Hill. And eventually, Eric's sister, Debbie, this sister who'd been looking for Eric for 16 years, made contact with the lawyer. And the description seemed to match her memory, and so she went to Texas. She and her husband and her two children rented a hotel room and went to look for Eric. He had already been released from the hospital, and they found him back out there beside the highway. And they walked up to him, and they introduced themselves. But Eric did not recognize Debbie, and he didn't believe that she was his sister. And so as they stood there, Debbie offered him some fruit, and he refused it. And then she offered him some juice, and he refused it. And then Debbie showed Eric a little pin of an angel and asked if he wanted it. And that worked. And Debbie pinned on the angel, and in that moment, she began to lay down her life for that one particular sheep. Debbie and her family had planned to stay there for a week. The week passed, and they stayed. And spring became summer, and they stayed. And they rented an apartment, and Debbie homeschooled her children, and they stayed. And Eric continued to not recognize his sister. And one day he cursed her. He didn't want to stay in their apartment. He didn't want their food. He didn't want to talk. He wanted his hole in the ground. He wanted his job of picking up garbage beside the highway. And Debbie kept laying her life down for this one particular sheep. In the 23rd Psalm, the Psalm that begins, The Lord is my shepherd, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It does not say, Maybe goodness and mercy shall follow me. It does not say, I have a hunch that goodness and mercy might follow me. It says, Surely, for sure, Count on it. Lean on it. Mercy's going to follow you and catch you, even if it takes a lifetime. Which is what finally happened to our fellow sheep named Eric. Days before he died, his eyes were opened, he recognized Debbie as his sister, and he died with peace, just awash with thanks for such love. It makes me think of the story of that accountant 
who arrived at the pearly gates and had his name checked off in the book of life and then did a survey of the people in heaven and found that there was a discrepancy discrepancy between the number of people and the number of names in the book. And after some investigation, St. Peter said, well, we found the problem. Jesus is out back lifting people in over the fence. <laughs> Including Eric Hill. So I close with words from Max Licato, who writes, Like Eric, we have doubted our helper. But like Debbie, God has followed us. Like Eric, we're quick to turn away. But like Debbie, God is determined to stay. Like Eric, we don't accept God's gifts. But like Debbie, God still gives them. He gives us his angels, not just pinned on a lapel, but placed on our path. And most of all, God gives us himself. Even when we choose our hovel over his house and our trash over his grace, still he follows, never leaving us, patiently persistent, faithfully present, using all his power to convince us that he can be trusted to lead us home. His goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the sure and certain hope that when Eric reached the pearly gates, he was met not by a steely-eyed judge, but by the Good Shepherd. Thank you for knowing the name of every single person here right now. And I pray that in the next couple of weeks, you will be getting us ready so that on Easter morning this year, like never before, we may be gripped and claimed and won over by your amazing grace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.